A service business is one of the fastest side hustles to get off the ground, and you can scale it by hiring other people to deliver the work. But is there an advantage to staying as a solo operator? To find out, it's time for another Side Hustle Showdown. What's up, what's up, Nick Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show, because you don't want to swim in a roped-off sea. Hat tip to Jimmy Buffett for that one. This week continues our showdown series. If you missed the first couple on podcasting versus YouTube and selling private label products on Amazon versus product licensing, I encourage you to check those out. Today, we're tackling freelancing versus building an agency. And we're doing this through the lens of a couple friends of the show who both run cleaning companies. Again, trying to find guests in similar industries so they can speak each other's language. But keep in mind, the stuff that we're about to cover applies to any service business, online, offline. On the agency side today is Chris Schwab from thinkmaids.com. And when I say agency, I mean basically you're running the show and other people are doing the actual labor. Because you might remember Chris from episode 294, which was a couple summers ago, discussing how he'd built the cleaning business to 60 grand a month in revenue without ever doing any cleaning himself and had scaled back his own involvement to just 10 minutes a day. You can find more about Chris at localbusinessmba.com. On the freelance side, on the solo side, I'm excited to introduce Ken Carfagno from solocleaningschool.com. Ken's a former engineer and a father of five who's got his cleaning business dialed in where he can knock out the work himself in just a couple days and enjoy five-day weekends with his family. Stick around to hear the contrasts between these two entrepreneurs, find out which model makes the most sense for you, and learn how to avoid the dreaded valley of despair that often afflicts service businesses. Notes and links for this one are at sidehustlenation.com slash showdown three. The first voice you hear will be Ken's on what attracted him to cleaning in the first place. Ready? Let's do it. We were just looking for some different options. The engineering field was not the environment that I wanted to be in. There was a lot of divorce in there where I was at and we're starting a family and it was working a ton. And I just saw great flexibility in a side hustle of a cleaning company. My wife started it and um, it was an opportunity to go into, you know, pursue our dream through entrepreneurship. And as you and her doing the work throughout. In the beginning, it was her and I doing the work. And then she said, well, this is your business now, so I'll stay home. And i <laughs> that's what we always wanted was for her to be stay-at-home mom and we homeschool the kids. So it, I took over the business 2005, 2006, and been at it ever since. I'm in my second version of it, so I sold my first one, and we're, we were able to relocate to our hometown. That's a little bit of our story. I don't want to take up too much time with that. Okay. I'm sure we'll dive into some of the different nuances there. Chris, what what inspired you to get into the cleaning business? So for me, it was in my final, right before my final semester of college at the time. I was kind of in this place of knowing I wanted to travel the world. I was in an international relationship. So partly it was commitment to my significant other, but it was partly that drive to see the world as well. So I knew I, I had to have some sort of job that would allow me to work remote. And I was kind of deciding between web development, which I'm not very good at, but at the time I thought I was. And starting a business. And I, I kind of decided that one more requirement would be that I don't want a boss. And I obviously have a great respect for freelancers, but as I hadn't been in the workforce that long, I didn't have much more of an in-depth understanding of how to be your own boss as a freelancer. Because it felt to me like with clients, it was more of a boss situation. And so I drifted more towards 
a traditional entrepreneurship model than I did towards web development. And I wasn't super serious, if I'm honest. I was serious about having something remote and paying me, but I wasn't super serious about the idea specifically. But I'd read about some guys on Reddit who had started their own cleaning companies and had done kind of a follow-along style thing. This was many years ago. They did it now. And I figured that I could set aside five to $700 over the summer and just try it out as a side hustle. I wasn't super committed to the idea, but it was local. I felt that a lot of local cleaning companies weren't marketing very well. They could be fantastic at the cleaning. They could be fantastic at customer service, but they weren't getting enough customers. And I felt like I could do that part of the equation well. I could market, I could do sales, I could do some of the other business side of things. And so I figured if I could bring on some contractors from day one, I'd be able to, at least with one team, provide them some jobs by the end of summer and earn a little bit back. And so I started it kind of from the mindset of a side hustle, but with the intention to grow it into its own thing where it'd be able to run itself. And so that was kind of the reason behind the why behind it. And that's interesting. I, I want something where I could be international or I could be remote. So I'm going to start a local in-person <laughs> service-based business. Like, okay, I don't know if my mind uh, would have gone there, but you figured out how to make it work. And I think that's really inspiring. Chris, do you remember where those first customers came from? You say, okay, this is, this is what I'm going to do this summer. I'm trying to get these first customers. I should add just a, an addendum to that. The, the reason I liked the idea of local was I was so bored of Gary Vee and Grant Cardone and these other types of very, they're very great entrepreneurs, but I was bored of that type of business, the super hustle all the time type of business and software as a service businesses. And you heard all the same thing in 2016. It was all the same stuff. And I just didn't, that type of business didn't appeal to me. Little did I know what would come. So local was just something different and I figured I'd give it a try. But to answer your question, our first customers came from a combination of Craigslist and Thumbtack. So I wouldn't recommend Thumbtack in 2020, but back then it was an absolutely fantastic place to get people. And we had a great follow-up sequence that other people weren't using. And it allowed us to get hired hundreds of times that first year. So it was a big source of our main source, I would say, even of marketing initially. Very nice. Ken, what about you? Where did, where did these first customers come from? So we started our company, we were living at an apartment complex, newly married. We had our first baby and the apartment complex property manager one day, this is how the business started. He sees my wife at the balcony. They were already friends. And he's like, oh, oh man. And my wife, Teresa says, what, what's wrong, Brett? And she's like at the balcony talking down to him. And he goes, the cleaners. <laughs> and then that was implied that there's a lot more to it. And he just looks up and she's, and he's like, hey, Teresa, you're at home. Do you clean? Would you like to clean? If you go get insurance, I can get you some work at the apartment. So she's like, I don't clean. My husband does though. <laughs> but she, she said, I'll do it. So she went and got insurance. That's how the business started. But that's where our company began with apartment complexes. Ours that we got referred to others. That same property manager connected me to Caldwell Banker real estate agent, which got me into a preferred vendor network at Caldwell Banker and access to 500 agents in my area. And I just became a little whipping boy for the first year. Like, Ken, go here. Ken, go here. And I just learned how to do the different aspects of cleaning myself completely solo. And from there, that started spawning into, like, it was all one-time jobs. And it led into recurring jobs over time. And I developed a little niche of what I would surf. But it started from apartment complexes. As these apartments were turning over? Or 
Yes. Okay. Yes. Move move in, move out cleanings for apartment complexes. That and then that moved into real estate, what I call presentation, sale ready presentation cleaning to get a house ready for sale. And then those clients would move somewhere and they wanted to hire me to, to where they were moving into. Hey, can you clean more than once? Can you clean every two weeks? And then it just kind of, it was very much a referral. And like Chris, I didn't use Thumbtack, but I was using Service Magic back in the late, in the 2007 to 2013 range. They were fantastic. They turned in Home Advisor and Home, I don't recommend Home Advisor in 2020, but Service Magic in the beginning, they were fantastic. But that's where I got my leads from. Okay. Did you know that roughly half of Side Hustle Nation hasn't started their side hustle yet? If that's you, I get it. Starting and building a business is tough. It takes more than just an idea. There are tons of moving parts, and it's a bit like trying to assemble your airplane in the middle of takeoff. Thankfully, our sponsor, Taylor Brands, is helping Side Hustle Show listeners make that leap and make it all a lot easier. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, making sure you have everything you need all in one place. Think of it like your behind-the-scenes partner for things like LLC formation, licenses and permits, getting an EIN, setting up your business bank account, bookkeeping and invoicing, insurance, logos, trademark protection, and a lot more. Taylor Brands helps you handle it all seamlessly. And to get you started, Side Hustle Show listeners get 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans when you use our link. That's taylorbrands.com slash side hustle. Taylor Brands, like a tailor for your clothes, T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S.com slash side hustle. Start your business journey today with the help of Taylor Brands. When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search and hit the ground running with your new hire. But what if you could get rid of the search part and just get matched with qualified candidates? Well, now you can with our sponsor, Indeed. It's simple. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. The matching and hiring platform is trusted by over 3.5 million businesses worldwide to connect with great talent faster. And 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. For my next hire, I'm using Indeed to tap into a talent pool of 350 million unique monthly visitors. And what else is cool is Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets. And how about this? Side Hustle Show listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Just go to Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Are there any similar marketplaces that you see being that have a strong potential today for somebody getting started? I think Google My Business is very strong and it's free. Sure, just like setting up a profile there? A local, yeah, Google local business profile. That's a great way you can do it. I know Chris probably has his list of them being the same industry. I personally, since I'm small and work small, I like to develop relationships and go through networking, connect with people and get into different various Facebook groups. I believe Facebook is tremendous, especially where there's groups of people that might be hovering in one place that are in a niche that you'd like to serve. So find where find the people you'd like to serve, find out where they hang out and then go hang out there. Just like this side hustle nation, people that want to learn how to do a side hustle, they end up congregating in this tribe. So I just have to find where my ideal client hangs out and go serve them. Yeah. 
Now, Chris, so Thumbtack isn't so good in 2020 anymore. Are you just relying on the existing customer base word of mouth at this point? Are you doing proactive marketing on any other channels? So I'd say two things there, and I'll I'll give you my marketing list as well, kind of what we're doing now. First is the list is always going to change, right? And because of that, you have to build early on a very strong client retention system. Because if you're always focused on one-time cleans and it keeps changing, you're going to have periods of droughts. But if you're able to convert a significant number of one-time cleans into regular customers and keep them, that's where the magic is. And that's what's going to sustain you more than any marketing ever will. For me, we do residential primarily, but Given the situation over the past few months, we've drifted a little bit more into commercial by necessity. And so it's been interesting to note the marketing differences between commercial and residential. For us, though, the common ground between both commercial and residential is, as Ken said, it's Google My Business is huge. That is, it was big when it came out, but every year it's even bigger. I'd say in most cities now, Google My Business is more important than Yelp. There's still some cities where Yelp is super important, but no matter where you are in the planet, You want to have a strong Google My Business profile with a lot of reviews and have it consistently used and updated. So that's important. Local service ads, if you're in North America, is very big. It's different than Google AdWords, but they give you a consistent price per call and it's worth the quality of the leads. So those are the two big ones for us. Other than that, I would say outside of the Google ecosystem, Facebook ads was very strong for a while and then it stopped, but it's starting to become effective again. I couldn't tell you why, because I'm not an ads expert, but particularly around seasonal holidays like Christmas or Thanksgiving, having a strong Facebook ads campaign is a great way to get customers and it doesn't cost a lot. Interesting. Like I'm, I'm cleaning up for a party or something. Being that we're both in the cleaning industry here and you have an audience ranging that it's looking at all different types of businesses or maybe already in them now, side hustles. What's unique about the cleaning industry, and I'm sure, I, I know Chris, I'm, I'm sure this is part of his decision process as it was for mine. I wanted to find a business model that allowed me to build on something, to build a consistent level of recurring income. It's like a membership program. There's a lot of companies like, hey, plumbing, electric, electricians, carpentry, they're one, one-offs. Everything's a one-off unless you can get like a six-month service plan or something. But with cleaning, they're designed to be weekly, every bi-weekly, every other week, monthly. And they are fantastic because you can build a tremendous amount of stability in your profits and make it predictable. I could not not have optimized my company on a one-time model. The way I optimize it is because it's recurring, it was predictable. And I recommend if anyone's choosing... A side hustle, not, hey, not go pick cleaning, but find something that you have a recurring model available. Is it primarily residential for you too, Ken? That's a great question. In my first business, it was 90-10, residential. In this business, I'm in the Philadelphia area now. I build it a little differently. I'm 50-50, and I am very thankful I did because as my residential got get just clobbered with you know the COVID pandemic, the commercial held strong. And at the end of the game here, it's three months later, my residential's still about 30% down, but my commercial's up 40%. And so I'm, I'm about net zero. I think it's also important, a diversification within your own industry. If you can find one is more stable in hard times and, and one will get hit. So it's a good question. That's interesting that the, well, hopefully the residential starts to see some signs of, of life again. 
But I don't know if anybody could have predicted that. But I do like your point about recurring revenue. Yes, it's going to get dirty again. Yes, that grass is going to grow again if I'm in a lawn mowing service. Yes, that dog is going to keep pooping in the backyard if I'm in the uh, pet waste removal business. <laughs> it's like, yeah, this stuff makes it makes a lot of sense. Like, okay, it lends itself well to a recurring type of client. Chris mentioned this five to seven hundred dollars in startup costs. Can you mention the insurance piece? Was was that the extent of the startup costs for you? Can you give a sense of what that cost? Yeah, this is probably one of the most inexpensive businesses that you can start in the planet. I, I don't know of many that are cheaper to do it legitimately, professionally. The first differentiator, are you required to get insurance? No, but it's a major, major trust builder and differentiator for you. And you're looking at, like you said, probably 400 to $1,000 per year to get $2 million of general liability insurance. And that's the basic foundation of what you need. And then the rest of the startup fee or startup costs would just be getting, from my side, from a solo side, would be the equipment, a vacuum cleaner, some cleaning supplies. It's helpful if you have a car that runs. So those things, I mean, for $1,000, your insurance, you do a down payment on it, plus your basic expenses to get started and equipment. For $1,000 or less, you're off and running, and you can make that back in a few jobs. Chris, what about you? So the five to seven hundred, is that insurance, website, initial marketing for bidding for jobs? What was that? What did that go towards? So I, I can give people some real numbers because I still remember them. Five to seven hundred was the super initial investment, kind of like the week one investments. I did spend a little bit more that month, but that's because I actually made some back. So for us, the five to seven hundred covered a really basic website, the domain name, insurance for one team. There's a Everfriendly Residential Cleaning Association. They're not around anymore, but at the time they covered independent contractors so that we used them. They had cheap insurance for that type of agency that I was doing. That was the main expenses. The rest was all pushed towards paid marketing and paying the cleaning teams for trial cleans because we I would have them come clean my apartment, but I would pay them for that as well. They knew it was a trial clean, but they still did the work, so they still got paid for it. If I were to start today, though, I'd agree with Ken. If you could put aside 1000 to 1200 that would be a much better place to be than five to 700. You could do it on that, but you never want to be that tight with a new business. So for us, the first month, to give you guys kind of a, a rough estimate, that first month when I didn't know anything, I spent about 1200 total at the end of that month. So five to 700 the first week, but we, we made about 22 to $2,300 in revenue. So we broke even by the end of the first month, just about. So your initial investment it's going to come in two stages. It's going to be the it's going to be what you need to get up and running, but then it's going to be the initial funds that you need to actually market with as well. So you can get jobs for free, especially on the solo side. But if you're starting the way I did, you'll want at least a couple hundred bucks set aside for marketing. Ken, is there a ceiling to how many new jobs you can take? Like if your phone rings today, hey, I've got a new commercial office building. I need you to come in, or I'd love to get a quote from you. Are you saying, yeah, I'll be there at three, or I'm good now? <laughs> I mean, this this would be the main, maybe one of the biggest cons of staying solo as a freelancer is, sure, you are limited by your own ability to perform. And so if you build a team, you can start to scale that out. So, so yes, there's only so many houses or offices that I personally will take or want to take. However, and this brings up a bigger point that I was hoping Chris and I could dive into because I think it'd be a lot of fun. It's called, you got to pick a side. There's two ways you can do this. You can go the, the solo optimizer route, or you can 
go and you can build something big and scale it and do it with teams and, and do it the way Chris has done it. And I love Chris's term. Maybe he can use it, but in the middle is where we all die. What do you call that, Chris? So we, uh, it's coined by a friend of ours, Derek Christian, who's also in the cleaning industry. It's called the Valley of Despair, where you're kind of stuck between both stages. It's the adolescent stage in the e-myth. It's not a good place to be. <laughs> and back to, to your question for me is in my solo cleaning school, so I, I run my own solo cleaning company and I'm also teaching others how to start a, cl- a cleaning company and how to go through what I've, what I've built up called the ISO model, initialize, stabilize, optimize. And so there's phases of growing a solo cleaning business, but always staying solo. And at the end of that rainbow, you have a business that is optimized, meaning you can clean houses ultra efficient and make really, really good profit per house. I've had over $100 per hour cleaning in solo cleaning. And I was doing two days a week at fifty to 60000 in profit back when I was fully optimized. Now, I didn't start that. I didn't start there. That took me time to get there. But see, so your question, part one of the answer would be, well, if you're new, you just take whatever you can get and build your business out and you work as much as you're willing to work. And then over time, you start to implement efficiency improvements. So you take less, you can build waiting lists of customers, you can start charging more. There's lots of little things you can do to basically build this like Tetris-like schedule that works for you and your family, but produces the goal of income that you're looking to produce. That's the strategy for you. Stack up all the work on two days a week and just knock it out. That was what I chose to do in my old business. My strategy this time around is a little bit different. I'm probably going to stack up as much as I can on on two or three days. I'd like to get to a hundred thousand in income this time on two or three days. But I have other I have online business, so I'm looking to be at home a lot of the week too. And then we'll see. I may sell that again. I, I don't know. Did you ever get pushback from a residential customer? You're in and out of there in like 45 minutes, and you're like a hundred bucks. Like, what? I wish I was that fast. Actually, <laughs> it's counterintuitive when you think, well, hey, you used to be here four hours, but now you're only here three. People that think that way have a by the hour mindset, but really what they really want is this, especially in a post COVID world. Okay. There are so many, there's germs and they're afraid of germs. So if you ask the customer the question, I'm going to continue cleaning your house with excellence. It's going to look awesome. If there's anything missed, you let me know. But check this out. I'm going to finish faster than I was, so I won't be in your house as long. You don't have to worry about the cleaning person being there all day long. I'm going to be in and out, and as long as I maintain the same level of excellence, wouldn't you be happier? And they're always saying, yes, that would be awesome. You're actually doing them a service by being out faster, but maintaining the level of excellence and continuing to keep that level of trust high between you and the client. Does that ever frustrate you to get a call just like I just don't have the capacity to take this on right now like it feels like I could turn money away or I could hire somebody at even 25 bucks an hour to go and do this work for me a perfectly qualified cleaner to go do this for me and just take my profit on the top I struggled with that for years because I didn't just make the decision to stay solo from the very beginning I was I did have employees for about 2 years and I I wasn't good at it I really wasn't because I was in the valley of despair. So I, I was, I was there. I, I experienced it. And many times I wondered, well, maybe I should dip my toe back in. And ultimately in 2000 and 2011, 12, 13, I decided to stay solo because I had a big dream of something I wanted to accomplish 
that wasn't cleaning related. And so I needed my, I needed my cleaning business to do something for me. It needed to be a certain amount of time and a certain amount of money so that I could go do another side hustle, ironically. But with that as a goal, I made a decision and say, no, I'm not going to teeter with, okay, I turning down work. No, I just, I'm going to max out what I personally want to do, get the most I can per client. And I had a referral network. I have friends that I could give other business to. And maybe I could take an affiliate on that, a small commission on that, or it's just good faith. I send them business and down the road, I get business from them. And so you can, you can look at it different ways. Yeah, I like that. We had a, a guest in the, in the SEO space who was booked up, you know, with his freelance SEO consulting, started a very similar thing. It was like, well, I got other people I trust. I can't take on your project, but let me send you to this guy. Hey, would you pay a finder's fee? Ended up building a whole side business just around that referral element. I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. Hey, entrepreneurs, we know that anyone with a side hustle loves finding new ways to save. So if your business takes you on the road, sign up for a free membership with Hertz Business Rewards. Work trips, client meetings, industry conferences with Hertz Business Rewards, you'll save at least 20% every time you rent a car. And you'll save on more than just the daily rate. Members earn credits redeemable towards free rental days. It's also free to add an additional driver if any additional coworkers come along. And for those Gen Z entrepreneurs out there, no young renter fees. Plus, sign up for Hertz Business Rewards today and earn three times credits during your first 90 days. So whether you're traveling for a side hustle or a main hustle, join for free at Hertz.com slash business rewards. Applies to base rate, taxes, fees, and options excluded. Additional terms and exclusions apply. Visit Hertz.com slash business rewards to learn more. If you travel a lot for work or for a vacation, you might be familiar with that feeling you get knowing you're leaving your space unused for long periods of time and you're still paying for that privilege. But hosting on Airbnb means you don't have to leave your home sitting empty when you're away. Being an Airbnb host isn't just a way to earn some extra cash, it's a chance to share your space and make a guest's vacation all the more memorable. You might be thinking, eh, maybe my place isn't the right fit, but don't write it off just yet. Your potential Airbnb might be right in front of you. Whether it's a spare room or even your entire home, there's an opportunity waiting. Airbnb turns your home into a practical and even profitable venture. We just got back from a family trip to Hawaii where we stayed in a great Airbnb, but our place back home could have been a highlight to somebody else's travels, and we could have used the extra cash to help pay for the trip. So if you're curious about hosting on Airbnb, find out how much your space could be worth by visiting airbnb.com slash host. Once again, that's airbnb.com slash host. Chris, what got you through that valley of despair? Yeah, this is a fun little story time. For me, it was uh, October 2016. In the middle of my final semester of university, I was very solidly in the university, uh, the valley of despair, also university of despair, I guess. It was midterm time, so a lot of despair all around. We'd grown very quickly from about zero to 20,000 a month in about 90 days. So it was a ridiculous amount of growth. Did, now, what, what are you thinking at that time? Like, are you thinking, like, I am this entrepreneurial alchemist? Like, I willed this into existence, and, <laughs> and now look at this thing. It, it's funny. I didn't understand. There was so little I understood about business. A big part of it was luck. You know, my profit margins were low because I was reinvesting everything back into marketing. So I was barely paying myself. Obviously, that's changed with time. 
But I was in this situation where I was studying for exams, I was answering the phone all day, handling cleaning teams, marketing, doing everything. I was really deeply unhappy, and it kind of came to a climax Halloween week where I was booking seven, eight people a day because it's Halloween week and everyone wants their house clean before the party and after the party. I was just such a, I made such a stupid mistake and I didn't ask my cleaning teams if they wanted time off with their family for Halloween. I just assumed they would want to work on Halloween day because it's extra money and it, it was just a, a grave mistake. So I, I scheduled them in and then that morning, like half my teams called off, something like six teams called off that day, which is a lot of bookings that not getting done. It was 10 or 12 bookings that were not going to get done. And every other cleaning, I searched for hours that day before calling customers Every other cleaning business in that city was booked solid. Uh, or if they weren't, they did not have a good reputation. And so I had to call all my customers and let them know the cleaning that they booked a month ago was not going to be happening. And so I was, I wouldn't call it a nervous breakdown, but it was on the edge of, of I had, you know, a dozen people screaming at me. And it was at this moment that I decided there's no way that I could possibly run this business, even if it makes me a lot of money. There's no way that I could deal with this every day for years. It, it's not a business. It's this soul-sucking job that I built into myself and called a business. And so for me, the way that I really escaped it was, well, two, two things. I'll keep it to one, though. I knew I needed an office manager, but I knew that I couldn't afford an office manager full-time. I didn't even have an office space, so there was nowhere for the office manager to go. I'd read The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss a few times, and he talks about virtual assistants a lot. And so I thought... Is there a way that I could find someone who used to work for a family business based in the U.S. who could do the majority of what I do, but they don't have to be in D.C.? And so I started looking for someone who used to run a family business, and I found two people. They agreed to try it out. They'd never worked as VAs before, but I trained them up to handle most of the office tasks remotely besides the hiring. And I, <laughs> this was another stupid mistake, but it ended up working out. A week after I trained them, I took off to Japan for a week, and I just basically ignored my phone unless it was an emergency, and I just let them handle it. I threw them in the deep end, and they handled things okay, and I came back, and my business was still in one piece. And so this was the first inkling that I had that I could run a business in a very minimal amount of time each day and have it function and not fall apart. And so over the next few months, I started to work on systems with them, started to teach them how to do stuff more in depth, and started to remove myself bit by bit from each different area of my business. Okay, very nice. So they're working from home, they're working remotely, they're fielding your phone calls, they're scheduling the different teams on the ground to go to the different addresses, and you're just paying them a, an hourly wage, are they salaried? How does that work? So in the VA industry, and you're, you're quite knowledgeable about this as well, Nick, we do it by the minute basis. And so what I do is I'd have them track their time. So in an eight-hour day, for a cleaning company of my size, we didn't need someone working eight hours a day. We needed someone working maybe two to three hours worth of time, but available for eight hours a day for when things came in. And so I'd worked out a higher rate that I would pay them, but with the agreement that they would track their time and, and instead of paying eight hours a day, it would be on a contract basis for the amount of work done each week. And so we paid them to be available during that time, but only to be paid for the minutes they put in. Okay, interesting. So it's like based on okay, whenever the phone rings, the clock starts. Precisely. And so that was a good middle point that they were happy with because it meant that they could take on other high paying clients as well during their day. And they weren't just beholden to one client because they were their own boss as well. And so we found a happy medium between us where I could afford them and they could afford to pay attention to us. 
What was the second thing? You can't tease two things and then only give us the one. (laughs) (laughs) The second thing for me was shifting how I thought about my business. I mean, the e-myth really is a big shift in how you think about your business too. I hadn't read the e-myth at this time, but the way I started thinking of my business was I knew that I couldn't remove myself from everything all at once because I tried that initially after the Japan trip and there was a big drop in quality because I basically transferred 20 different hats from myself to two other people. And so they were overwhelmed. So I wanted to find a way where I could only have them working on the areas that they were good at. And so I started to look at how big businesses structure their business. And the way any big or medium-sized business structures their business is by having different department heads for each department. You have a sales head, you have a marketing head, you have a communications director, right? You have a customer service agent. So I thought, could I outsource each area of my business as if it were a big business and assign a department head to each one. And so that's what I did. I assigned the customer support and the teams to, so the customer support to VA1 and the teams to VA2. So the front end was being handled by VA1 and the back end was being handled by VA2. Then I outsourced the sales to someone. Then I outsourced the marketing to someone as if they were a marketing head. And so I started to think of my business as if it were a big business and how all the different moving parts work together so that I could outsource them one by one instead of just throwing it all on someone else. And so that was the other big thing that really worked for me was finding a way for someone to step up and take responsibility for each part that they were an expert at. Were those hires similarly structured in terms of the payment or was it this sprint to get to where revenue justified those hires? So we tried a little bit of everything. We're pretty solid now, which I can explain, but we tried everything. We tried salespeople on the ground. We had people doing door hangers. We had a professional marketing agencies. But what ended up working for us was finding an expert in their field and negotiating either if it's a sales or marketing job, a retainer fee plus ad spend so that they're earning something, the better they perform for us. Or if it's an office or customer support job, offering them a higher pay rate but for the minutes that they work instead of the full day. And so what I'm saying is there's no standard pay structure. It depends on the position that you're outsourcing in your business at the time, because there are different pay structures that work better for different positions. But the two most common were paying by the minute per work or coming to some sort of commission agreement. Okay, gotcha. Like a performance basis on on new business that you bring in for us. Right. And so one thing that did not work for us was... I tried to have my VAs who were not salespeople, I tried to entice them to become salespeople as well. And I was going to offer them a bonus for every person that they closed, for every good review that they got. But the problem was I was spreading them too thin and they were not salespeople. They didn't have years of sales experience. And so I could have these bonuses in place, but they weren't getting used that much because that wasn't where their strength was. And so don't try and fit a square peg into a round hole, right? Don't try and force a person that you hire to be something that they're not. Gotcha. That's something that has been, I guess, a common mistake for people looking for outsourced help is like, well, I'm doing all of these roles in my business. Like, why can't I hire somebody to do that? It's like, no, like if you can compartmentalize, departmentalize that a little bit more, you set everybody up for success. Nick, I would even take that that expression, that quote from Chris, the round square peg, round hole, whatever. I think that applies too in general. If you're coming into a business, into a side hustle, kind of know yourself, know your personality, know your goals, what your dreams are. Do you want to go through the route and become like Chris or do you want to stay small? Like I think you don't have to start small and like there's so many cleaners that come, they start small, then they feel like they have to scale. 
It's like required. Well, if I want to make more money, I have to scale. And some people don't want to. Some, like a stay-at-home mom, they want to start a side business. They're already good at cleaning. There's tremendous pros of, of cleaning. They're already good at it. They can make great money and they can be flexible with their schedule. They can clean when they want. It's very therapeutic for them. It relieves their stress while they're doing it and they can bring home great money. And then I don't want to hire people. I don't want to scale. And down the road, they might want to, but it's just some people may just want to pick one of these two sides as per the name of this, this particular podcast. That's a really good point. Me and Ken were talking before as well about it's very easy these days to be sold a dream that's not yours. And I think that's always been a problem in business, but now so more than ever with movements like the digital nomad movement or becoming a virtual assistant, which the term is always expanding. It's almost meaningless at this point. You need to be very clear on what your end goal is very clear for me. When I started my vision of what I want my business to be has changed quite a few times over the years. I have the lifestyle of what I originally wanted, but the vision of what it will be at the end is very different than it was at the start. And if you end up buying into a dream that's not yours, it's going to get you stuck. And maybe you'll do well for a year or two years or five years, but you'll eventually get stuck because you you reach a stage where you hit the initial goal that you had in mind, but you never have a bigger end goal. And so you don't you can't get unstuck unless you actually map that out. And so mapping that out at the beginning is so important. And with Ken, for example, in our industry, it's very common now. And I talk about this all the time because this is the way I run my business. It's very common to push solo cleaners. You'll see it in every thread and every comment. A solo cleaner says they're overwhelmed. The second they say that there's a hundred comments saying you need 10 systems in your business. You need two virtual assistants. It's the same advice all the time, but it's not right for that person. If you read what that person wrote, and you listen to what they want out of their business, you're telling them very bad advice. It's good generic business advice, but it's bad personalized advice. And so you have to be very clear on what that person and you yourself want out of your business before you can find a way to get to whatever the next stage is for you. Yeah, I like that. Don't get sold a dream that's not yours. Kind of know where you're going, know what you want to get out of this thing and go down that path. Like even if it's, quote, the slower path or if it's going to lead you through this valley of despair, whichever it is, like no kind of where where you want to take it. And Nick, there's there's so many people, I believe, listening to this podcast, they're in a job that they don't like. <laughs> How many people, I mean, they got a taste of this work from home freedom. Oh man, I got to go back to that place at some point. And maybe it rekindled the, the dream, the fire, like I want to get out, I want to get out. And they make their dream, like I want to have my own business on the side. And maybe you've seen this and people that you've interacted with and like the dream becomes, I want a side hustle. That's my dream. And then they get a side hustle. They get out of their job and they're doing their side hustle. They're doing their dream. But then they realize that the side hustle wasn't the dream. They made it the dream and they become unhappy with what they're doing. And they don't get themselves, they don't attach their why to something that's emotional quickly with an end goal. They're going to phase out and they're going to end back at, end back up at that desk they were just sitting at. So that's a good point, Ken. I guess I would say then what we're all saying here is you can transition later if you need to, because your, your goals and your life will be different. But when you start your side hustle, your business, you want to start your business as close to the stage you want to end up at as possible. So day one, you want to be as close to that stage as possible, whether you want to be a freelancer and optimize your income then, or you want to run an agency style business where you're not doing the work yourself. As soon as you start your business, you have to be as close to that end stage as possible because it'll make everything easier if it can, if you can. Versus Chris, you going out and cleaning in the early days, like, I want to test this out. I want to see how I like it. And then I'm going to hire people later. It's like, no, I'm going to hire people from 
the very onset. Right. So th- this is like from my own personal stress and mistakes and breakdowns. I knew I wanted to travel, but that was it. It's a very vague goal with business. I want a business that lets me travel. That's the most generic business in the world these days. And so I got stuck in this valley of despair, this adolescent stage in the e-myth, as he calls it, because I wasn't clear on what I wanted. And so I, I had a job that was 12 or 14 hours a day instead of seven or eight hours a day because I was pedaling my feet. I didn't know where I was headed. I didn't have any roadmap towards any end goal. The, the vague goal that I had was grow my business bigger and then somehow skip a stage and then not have to run my business. You know, there wasn't, there wasn't a path there. So you have to have it mapped out. Yeah. Step one, idea. Step two, question mark, question mark. Step three, profit. (laughs) Chris, can you give a sense of the time that you're putting into operations today? Sure. So these days, this is another funny story me and Ken have talked about. You're going to hear a lot of these stories. (laughs) So for me, I spend about five to 10 minutes a day on my cleaning business. I spend, I work all day, but on my other businesses these days. And it's hard for people to believe that because it's a business with people in it. It's very people-intensive business, the cleaning industry, and there's a lot of moving parts. But this is the power of having an agency-style business that you've learned to work well with and that you have hired the people to be in the right places. So for me, I have my office managers handling the office work. I have a sales guy, a marketing guy, a bookkeeper handling those parts of the business. So at the end of the day, the only thing that I actually need to do is check in with them. And sometimes I'm bad at that too. Sometimes I won't check in with them for a couple of days and then they get annoyed at me, but I won't check in with them. But the only thing you really need to do is jump in and say, Hey, how are you, how's it going to each person in your business in different areas? And if everything's going well, you can log off. And if it's not, you can chat with them for a few minutes and come up with a solution. Me and Ken were talking, a lot of people get stuck with a mentality that business has to be a lot of work. And it does at first. It does have to be a lot of work at first. And if it doesn't, you found a unicorn. The first two to five years, your business will be a lot of work. But I talk to people who've been in business since 1979 or 1985, and they're still working eight or 10 hours a day in their business. And that's not, they're doing something wrong there if that's the case. And I, there's no judgment there, but they've had time where they should have been able to work on each part and optimize it a little bit more. And so, What I guess I'm saying is you have to be able to measure your progress and you have to see how other people who are a step or two ahead of you are operating their business so that you know how to actually get to that stage as well. So uh, I was talking to a guy in in one of the Facebook groups in the cleaning industry and he, he will sit there and he's been in the group for years and he's never said a single positive thing. He calls everyone doing better than him a scam. We've all seen these people and it's impossible to run a business in 10 minutes a day. But I told him there are tens of millions of business owners who are not in their business at all. There are so many shopkeepers. There are so many textile industry owners. There are so many people in every industry imaginable who are business owners who haven't touched their business in years because they have the right people in place. It's a normal evolution in business to eventually have someone in place handling each part of it for you so that you're able to just oversee the big picture. And so if you're stuck in a mindset where you think business has to be work, Take a step back and look at what people who are a little bit ahead of you are doing. And if they're still working just as hard as you, because if they're not, which I'd bet you that they're not, then this is a limitation that you're, you're facing yourself. You need to reframe how you start working on your business again. Now, Ken, five or 10 minutes a day, like, doesn't that sound, doesn't that sound appealing? Well, sure. He chose that path and he has owned it and he's optimized it and I applaud him for it. I didn't choose that path. Now, what's nice is if you are a freelance 
solo, you can choose that path at any point if you if you want to. You always have the option. What Chris and I are both saying is, it sounds like if you're going to get started in this business or any, go grab the E Myth book. Understand that because you really, you know, I'll give an example too of a company that didn't grab the E Myth book right away. And I found another cleaning company, probably in the same group that Chris found his gentleman. And we got on a phone call and I was trying to help them out. And after just hearing their numbers, I cringe and I feel sorry for them. And they have a good business. It's doing $400,000 in revenue, which is really good. And digging in further, I find out, okay, so you're in the office, you're working those eight-hour, nine-hour days handling everything six days a week. They're a husband and wife with kids, six days a week at the office, not seeing their kids much. And out of a $400,000 revenue, they're pulling out thirty to thirty-five thousand. Thirty, thirty-five thousand dollars in a salary and the business is doing no profit. And I just paused and I said, Well, let me just ask you a question. Just a contrast, really. That's your business, four hundred thousand in revenue. You're working six days a week, you're hardworking, and you're keeping thirty thousand. My business is it's just me, and my revenue is not even a hundred thousand. But yet my profit is double yours at 60, and I'm only working two days a week, not six. So I'm working one-third the time and making twice as much. I said, so what's, you know, what do you think is wrong with that picture? And just that same mindset that Chris was talking about, it just didn't register. We didn't talk again. I wish them well. And there's a lot of that. And that company, they started off with a dream of growing and growing. And they just, oh, I got too many clients. I need to bring on some employees. And it's, it's always the growth happens. And then they try and fix it with systems. And then st- they're supposed to lead with systems and then let the growth fill in. They do, they do it backwards and they get themselves in that value to spare. And I didn't want to go that route. So yeah, Nick, five and 10 minutes does sound good. But I was perfectly happy with what I had optimized. I mean, five-day weekends and still making enough money for my family. And it gave me other days of the week to work on my other side hustles to make other income, which I was able to build up an online business during that time. And I was with my kids. So that was the path I chose. So I'm not saying that I prefer Chris or Chris prefers mine. I think each of your listeners will have to decide if they want to go into a side hustle. They need to pick a side. That's what the point is. Go small and optimize and find your perfect business. Or go big and do it right, but don't get stuck in the middle. Yeah, they bring up an important point about the profit margins and being able to pay yourself and mining those. Chris, is there a target margin that you're shooting for on a per job or per month basis? Okay, it's a really good question. It ties into exactly what Ken was saying with the guy he just talked to. Profit margins, the more you outsource your business, are going to be lower. So you're going to have to build a bigger business to get the same pay because you're paying everyone to do the work for you, (laughs) right? It's not cheap to do that. For us, we're in an industry where there's a big difference between profit margins with employees versus contractors. So it's a little hard to generalize, but generally, because I work with painters and lawn care guys too, I have some general knowledge of the local industry. Generally, in this industry, you want to aim for between eight and 30% profit. Like if you run a massage parlor, for example, and you have a physical location that you're paying for and beds and therapists, I know a guy who ran a $70,000 a month massage parlor. His profit was good in the industry and he was profiting 8% a month, but that was really good for him. Most people weren't profiting anything at all in that industry. 
in the cleaning industry for us, the way I've set up my business, if you, if you really truly want to do minimal work, the owner will be paying themselves between 10 and 17% of revenue by the end of the day. I'm closer to the 10% because I outsourced absolutely everything. I think it works out to between 12 and 14%. So if my revenue is 500,000 a year, I'm only going to be making 65,000 or so from that business, for example. But you only had to work 10 minutes a day. So trade-offs. <laughs> but you do have a lot more liability. You have a lot more chances for one of your teams to screw up by accident or for a customer to be unhappy. So there is a lot more risk that you're taking on. If you're doing 300 or 400 jobs a month versus 30 or 40, there's a lot more stuff that can go wrong as well at the bigger scale. And so that's a risk that I take, but it is a bigger risk. You leave yourself more open. Do you have any of those nightmare scenario stories outside of the Halloween episode, like where something bad happened with one of these crews or on somebody's property? This is a little specific to the cleaning industry. <laughs> I actually don't know if I can say this one on air. Is this a family-friendly show? Keep it PG. I'll tell you after the call. <laughs> okay. This is not a PG story. Okay. It's not. But we haven't had too many bad ones. One of the ones we did have, though, was a person who was selling their house. And we took we take before and after pictures. We asked people for permission to do that. We cleaned their house very well. It was actually our A team cleaning that house. And they really are a truly amazing cleaning team. And they did a great job. And there was no scratches left. Again, we had the before and after photos. And they must have forgotten that we took those because they scratched up their marble surfaces and they scratched up different areas of their house, like the fan above the, the stovetops. And then they sent that to us and they said, our team damaged it. They were going to sue us for the damage. They were trying to basically sell the house and make a lot of money out of us by damaging their own equipment and their own household. And luckily we took the before and after photos. Otherwise we probably would have been screwed. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Was that something like a liability policy would typically cover if you hadn't had that backup? Well, yes and no. <laughs> Yes, if it's unintentional, which didn't ha it wasn't our fault at all, but it would cover it was unintentional. But the way they were describing it, I think they would have actually had a pretty compelling case to make some money out of us. So they were trying to hold us hostage from damage that they caused themselves to their own house. So there are things like that. There are typical things like people leaving money in weird spots to see if the cleaner will take it. Our cleaners always text us a picture of it and we laugh about it. But people will, people will test you in little ways. So there's always things like that. That's interesting. <laughs> I never... Okay. Yeah. Like here's the sock drawer. That's <laughs> kind of funny. Do you ever get the threat of, so you're, you're taking a margin on top of this labor. Do customers ever go like, well, why, why am I going through this company? Why don't I just work with this team directly and, and save money or pay them a little bit more? Like just cut out the middleman. Does that ever come up? Sure. Yeah. Early on before I knew how to deal with that, that was uh, that hit us very hard. The first year in business, a great team of ours was slowly siphoning off clients of ours to build their own thing. And they did successfully. We basically did the marketing for them and they built their own cleaning business and stole those clients. It's very rare. I've talked to so many cleaning business owners. It happens, but it's so rare that this actually happens. But there are occasions where cleaners will take customers' ears behind your back. I was going to say, you need to have, they need to have the mindset of an entrepreneur to be successful with it. And there's a lot of folks that work in team cleaning systems. They just want to do the work. They don't want to do the business. And then when they try, they, there's a typical, oh, I'll just, I'm good at the work. I can make more money because I, I run the business, but then they don't know how to run a business. They don't have the mindset. They haven't read the books. They haven't listened to the podcast like this and they miserably fail. Then they end up, Hey, can I have my old job back? And it, it's bad for everyone when that happens. And I know companies that when they see entrepreneur, 
like tendencies or desire in their employees, they'll encourage them and say, you know what, you want to go out on your own, I'll help you. And that's totally fine. You can help the community and get and provide another cleaning company in the area. I mean, we're not, there's enough houses, enough offices to be cleaned. Trust me, we're not that competitive. We tend to help each other out a lot. I mean, look at me and Chris. We're in the same industry. We're friends. We help each other. Well, you're in different cities. (laughs) That helps. He's in London. (laughs) But what he's saying is absolutely true. I've helped several people start a cleaning business in D.C., where we're based, and it's never been a problem. I don't think we've ever once had a customer conflict between each other. There's just, if you're even in a medium-sized city, there's so many people who need cleaning or so many people who need a local service. There's just, there's no way that you're going to be interfering with each other. Unless you're really determined to. Well, and this is one of those examples, too, of it. the pie just continues to get bigger as more and more people outsource this chore versus it's probably orders of magnitude what it was 20, 25 years ago. So that's a cool place to be kind of in this rising tide. Ken, early on, you mentioned selling the original business. And I'm curious if it's you doing the work, like what is the asset that you're selling? Just the customer list? I'm curious how that works. It was. So I I went through a pretty tedious process with this, and there was lots of online resources I was able to find on how to evaluate your business, and I did so, and there was like nine different points, and I I honestly evaluated that, and it it became a profit multiplier. So the the ones about, well, you doing the work, I got a low grade there, obviously. But the ones on customer retention, when my average customers were five years and they were totally loyal to the business. And yeah, to me, obviously, but I had to find the right person to fit in to my spot. And then things like keeping your, like keeping amazing books, keeping your numbers, those are so vital. And the brand that you have, there's some, there's little factors and how the recurring model. So I had a really good multiplier. It was around three. And then I looked at some comps from a biz buy sell website and I was able to come up with a price that seemed reasonable. And you know, you have to know how to shop it around. And I did not sell it to another cleaning business because that wasn't going to be the max I could get for it. I sold the dream, not the business. And so I found someone that was working $16, an hour. That was a good friend of mine already that he was not happy with his job. He was 25 years old and he, he just wanted something more. He wanted his own business flexibility and he was hurting his body operating these machines he was doing. And I, I just presented him a dream and said, here's what I'm, I've been doing. I've built a company 15 years. I got all these little clients. Here's what it's worth. Here's what it does. If you were to take this on, you could triple your income and you could do it on a fraction of the time you're doing now. That allows you to pursue the other things in your life that you'd like. And he was so excited. We we're sitting at Starbucks a few days later talking about this for three hours. Within two weeks, he's going on his first airplane ride ever to go to a cleaning conference with me in Dallas. And two months later, he's got the down payment money to buy the business. And I go through a process to train him and to go through all of my clients and work out, work out arrangements. And some people didn't take the transfer. And I worked that into the price that people said no, but most of them did. It was a wonderful transition. You got to find the right person. But I'll tell you, you can sell a solo business. If you do it right, you have to sell the dream, like the dream of what the business can do for him. And here he is. It's two years later, Nick. Everything I I told him would happen for him, he has done it. I'm so proud of him. His name's Ian Trainer, Albany Pure Cleaning in Albany, New York, where I used to be. His business is cruising. He's getting clients on his own. He's fully trained. He's teaching me some things now, actually. But his income is triple what it used to be, and he's working the schedule he wants. 
And so he's achieved his dream and he's he's thankful. All right. That's an important note. Sell sell the dream and not in like a scammy, sleazy way, but because a a typical business buyer investor type is like, I don't want to touch this thing. The owner was doing all the work. I want to be more hands-off and just get a return on my money. So it's like you gotta find a different type of buyer that's still a sellable asset because of this recurring nature, but just have to position it a little bit differently. Chris, do you think I mean, is that the end game for ThinkMades? Like, you're going to have a big exit down the road? Where do you where do you want to take this thing? No, and I, this is so controversial what I'm going to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. It's funny, again, me and Ken were talking about this. <laughs> you're going to hear that a lot. I, I've really changed this past year and a half on what I want out of my businesses, and I've become a lot more clear, precise on what I want. For me, what's important is giving back to my local communities, and there's certain ways that we're doing that now that we weren't financially capable of before. So I'm starting, not single-mindedly, but I'm starting to reposition the way I view my businesses and the way they're going to continue growing in the future towards community service. So they're not nonprofit, but they're like a profit, nonprofit type of situation where I'm guiding them towards supporting organizations that are really important to me. So that's one thing. But the other thing is, I actually have reduced intentionally the size of my business the past year and a half of ThinkMades. We were breaking that seven-figure barrier, and... I was reaching a point where there's a couple different stages. Like when you go from zero to six figure business, that's kind of your first business. Usually that's where you start to learn about systems and you start to put them in place. And then from low six figures to low seven figures, there's a whole new set of systems that you have to put in place and a whole new set of people that you have to put in place and a whole new type of work that you have to learn. And, and every big chunk of revenue that you add, you have to keep having your business evolve at one time relearning and and redoing all that appeal to me. But these days, I actually am very comfortable with the way my business runs, where it's at, the profit margins it has, the client retention that it has. And so I've come to a point where it's actually not desirable to continue growing it because I'd have to sacrifice more in order for it to continue growing, both of my time and my money. I'd have to ask more of my people. For us, the company culture is very important. I also run my VA agency. And one of the big things for us when we hire our VAs is that they're coming on because they want their own life too. They don't just want a work from home job. They want their own work-life balance as well. And we promise them that when they come on with us. And that's what I want for my cleaning teams as well. And so if I were to continue growing bigger, I'd be pushing and pressuring my teams and my managers more than maybe they're capable of, or I'd be taking more away from their life just to continue growing a little bit more. And so now at the stage I'm at in my businesses, it's all about balance, a balance between giving back to my local communities, but also a balance, not just for me as the owner, but for the people who work for me. And so we're finding a sweet spot where we don't actually need to grow too much more. That's awesome to hear. I think that's a good place to wrap this up as well with like finding that sweet spot, having the business support the lifestyle that you want, support people, support the communities rather than having it just be a train and something that you that you dread doing and all the things that can go into that. So you're pursuing growth for the sake of growth. Chris mentioned his VA company. That's InnovaLocal.com, I-N-O-V-A, local.com, specifically built for local service type of businesses like cleaning companies and localbusinessmba.com. Like you said, hey, only 10 minutes a day on cleaning operation, but lots of other projects in the fire. Always excited to see what you're up to. Check it out, localbusinessmba.com. Ken is over at Solo Cleaning School. Any parting shots, closing arguments before we wrap up here, Ken? I would say this. You need to really figure out 
why you're starting a business and what you're trying to accomplish. And take this podcast episode, because we are two diverse and and two contrasting models to one industry. And I think this contrasting model could apply to other business models out there. I think it'll be very similar. So figure out what kind of a business owner you'd like to be. Would you like to do the work because you love the kind of work? It could be therapeutic. You love the feeling of it. And hey, you'd love to stay small and optimize and have four or five day weekends. Or do you want to grow it big and go through that value to spare and and push through it and get to the other side where Chris is at and then be able to pursue that lifestyle and freedom on the other end of it? My biggest takeaway is what we talked about already is just pick a side. Don't get stuck in the middle. And both Chris and I, I'm sure Chris would agree that both of us are available. If you just want to bounce ideas off us, I mean, I have a podcast, Solo Cleaning School. You can check that out. Chris has plenty of resources. I'm available. And so Nick, my my takeaway is just pick a side and and don't question it. Pick a side, set a goal, go after the goal and make it happen. I like it. Chris, any closing arguments to add or are you good? That was great advice. I, I wish I had something profound to say, but I don't. I guess the only thing I, I, I'd say is it's all about balance. It's easy when you start your business, whether it's going to be a solo or an agency, whatever stage you're at, it's very easy to get consumed by it, but you have to put limits in place. You have to have sacred time for exercise, for family, for other parts of your life. Otherwise, it will become all about business. It will become all about money. Even if you never intend that, it might be years before you get out of that trap. And so all, all I'd say is, Go with the intention to work hard and honestly, but make sure that you have balance as well when you start your business. Sounds good, guys. Really appreciate you joining me. Really appreciate your involvement and and engagement inside the Side Hustle Nation community. And we'll catch up with you soon. Again, big thanks to Chris and Ken for sharing their hard-earned wisdom in today's show. Be sure to check out Chris's stuff at localbusinessmba.com. And you can grab Ken's Solo Cleaning Quick Start Guide at solocleaningschool.com. That is it for me. If you liked this conversation or any other Side Hustle Show episode, be sure to tell a friend about it and then hit the subscribe button in your podcast player app. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, let's go out there and make something happen. And I'll catch you in the next edition of the Side Hustle Show with another showdown episode, this one in the online business space on whether you should be building a website from scratch or hey, maybe buying one that's already working. I'll see you then. Hustle on.